I'd like you to think about this question. Is the earth becoming overpopulated? Do you have an answer? Okay, I'm guessing the majority of you are thinking, yes, it is. And why do you think that is the case? It's an answer based partly on our intuitions. Population has grown in the past, it is growing now, and it will continue to grow in the future at an accelerating rate. And therefore, it makes sense that the world will soon become overpopulated. It is an answer that's also based on our environment. We see it on television, we read about it in the news, we see images of seas of people in cities, or perhaps we observe it ourselves. We see waste and climate change and all of the impacts of a human population growing and growing and growing. In the classic 1999 film The Matrix, Agent Smith lectures Morpheus on his revelation regarding the human race. Here is Smith with his trademark laconic draw. I'd like to share a revelation that I've had during my time here. It came to me when I tried to classify your species. I realized that you're not actually mammals. Every mammal on this planet instinctively develops a natural equilibrium with the surrounding environment, but you humans do not. You move to an area and you multiply multiply until every natural resource is consumed. And the only way you can survive is to spread to another area. There is another organism on this planet that follows the same pattern. Do you know what it is? A virus. The human beings are a disease, a cancer of this planet. You are a plague. And we are the cure. I love that scene. It's a classic moment when the viewer starts to question the morality of the entire Matrix universe. Smith really does have a point though. Humans are a blight on the natural landscape of the Earth, and surely there must one day come a day when we simply run out of space. In this episode, I'd like to explore the idea of overpopulation in detail and put our intuitions to the test. Unfortunately, to do so requires us to explore a variety of statistics. We simply cannot address such an issue without looking at the numbers. But I'll try to keep this as interesting as possible, and I hope to highlight some aspects of the question which may not be evident from your intuitions alone. So let's take my original question. Is the Earth really becoming overpopulated? The answer is actually not as straightforward as you might think. In fact, I'm going to open with a bombshell. According to the United Nations, in 80 years the population of the Earth will peak. Yes, in just 80 years, the global population will top out, and then begin to decline. That is surprising, and actually quite good news from a conservation perspective, not to mention quality of life. But unfortunately, that peak will be around 11 billion people. Today, the human population of the Earth is around 7.5 billion, so we have to increase another 40% before we hit our ceiling. 40%! Okay, so that's a lot of people, even if it is a peak. It is almost double the number of people living on Earth today. 
and who knows how many will be living on other planets or moons by then. Let's hope quite a few. A few billion would be good. So yes, the short answer is we probably are overpopulating the Earth. But the answer is far more nuanced and requires understanding what makes up that growth. Now breaking down the differing rates of growth by country would be an arduous and not particularly interesting exercise. To be honest, it would offer little surprises. In short, populations of the poorest countries will continue to grow and be the last to peak, while wealthier countries will grow at a much lower rate and peak sooner. But the rate at which the global population is growing has actually been declining since the 1960s. At about the same time as Neil Armstrong took his famous first steps on the moon, the global population was growing by around 2.5% per year. Today, Earth's population is growing at 1% per year, and by 2050 that will halve to just 0.5% per year. So even though we do have a lot of growing to do, most of it is going to happen in the next few decades. In fact, the UN predicts we will hit 10 billion by the year 2057, which leaves 40 years to grow that final billion. So the peak of our population, and all of the issues that will come with it, is really a point for consideration in our lifetimes, depending on how old you are of course. It is not some distant problem our children's children will have to contend with, although of course they will too. A growing population is a problem for everyone alive today. Most of us should be able to answer the following question. Which is the most populous country in the world? Yes, it's China. But what comes next? And then? The second most populous country is India, and that will soon overtake China to have the world's largest population. And the third most populous country? It's the USA. Surprised? Incredibly, the US is growing by almost a million people a year who are migrants, so a large part of their growth is not organic, as in from births succeeding deaths, but from people arriving from other countries. In contrast, China has an annual net loss of population due to migration of well over 300,000 people. Why then does America, which recently appeared to be quite anti-immigration, and maybe still is, encourage so much migration? The answer is economics. Those people help to grow the economy, pay taxes, and contribute to the overall wealth of the United States. I'm sure there is a sophisticated cost-benefit analysis which looks at the potential cost associated with increasing population through immigration. And of course, it's a significant political issue, but the numbers tend to speak for themselves. The US, for instance, has a gross national income per person of around $60,000. China, on the other hand, has a gross national income of about $18,000 per person. India, it's less than half of that. As long as the political landscape offers the opportunity to migrate from poor countries to rich, migration will flow upstream. But this episode isn't about inequality. So let's get back to overpopulation. How is population distributed around the globe? Are we really spreading like a cancer, as Smith suggests? Human populations, not surprisingly, live predominantly in urban areas, around 55% of us. That still leaves a lot of people living in low-density areas, but that number will decline as populations in cities continue to grow and people migrate to cities to find work. By 2050, it is forecast over two-thirds of us will live in cities, and when we reach our peak in 2100, over 85% of people will be city dwellers. That's 9.3 billion people living in cities, more than double the number who live in them today. If you've ever been to Tokyo, Los Angeles, Shanghai, Istanbul, Bogota or Mexico City, you'll find it hard to imagine 
what another 4 billion people is going to look like. Cityscapes today extend from horizon to horizon, and many of them are really thousands of small communities living separately under the umbrella of the name of the city, but many people could live their entire lives without ever visiting another distant part of it. Being from one part of a city is as unique as being from one part of a country, and those divides will become even more distinct in the coming decades. Today, 95% of humans populate just 10% of the world's surface. I've spent thousands of hours flying around the planet, gazing upon vast tracts of wilderness and wasteland. You can fly for hours at a time, at a thousand kilometres an hour, over what appears to be nothing. Places like the Australian interior, northwest China and Mongolia, Russia and northern Canada. Millions of square kilometres that are home to barely a soul. So it's not for lack of room that we are overpopulating the planet. In 50 years' time, it is unlikely much will have changed on those long intercontinental flights, as it will be our cities that continue to grow. We will expand outward. Urban sprawl will keep sprawling, with major cities merging to become megalopolises, as seen in 13 regions of China today, including the Guangdong Pearl River Megalopolis, which includes the city of Guangzhou, Shenzhen, Shuhai, Hong Kong, Macau, and many others. This area is less than half the size of New York State, but is home to three times as many people, some 70 million. Cities will also continue to grow upward. Futurists predict buildings climbing miles into the sky with thousands of floors that are accessed by drones as elevators will take just too long to reach those higher floors. Imagine living in a building and never going beyond several floors above and below your own apartment. A city within a city within a city. Buildings on this scale may take some time to appear, given the difficulty in even finding a decent tradesman to do up your bathroom. But there is no doubt space in cities will become ever more limited, and no small part due to rising sea levels. So going up is an inevitability. So we've established that the Earth's population is growing. But it is not growing everywhere, and in some places it is even declining. In fact, between 2020 and 2100, the population of over 90 countries will decline. Yes, unbelievably, population decline has already begun in many countries, and it's been happening for some time. Today, some 25 countries have a declining population. There are several contributing social factors for this, but the main reason is clear. People just aren't having as many children. The correct terminology is decidedly unromantic, but quite simply, the replacement fertility rate is on a downward trajectory. Obviously, if there are more deaths than births, populations will decline. One country with a declining population is Japan, whose population declined by 450,000 people in 2018. This is put down to three key factors. A low birth rate, its so-called ultra-aging population, and very low immigration. Japan is one of the most homogeneous countries in the world, with one of the lowest foreign-born populations among developed countries. However, Partly in response to its ageing, declining population, this is changing, particularly in the larger cities like Tokyo, which is becoming home to increasing numbers of foreigners. But an ageing population is not only an issue for Japan. By 2073, it is forecast that globally there will be more people over the age of 65 than under the age of 15. Improved living conditions and medical technology continues to contribute to prolonged lifespans. In 1950, the median age of all living humans was just 24, yet by 2100 it will be 42. A child born today will literally live longer throughout the course of their own lifetime, that is to say, 
Average life expectancy today is 71 years. But by 2100, it is projected to be anywhere from 81 to 100 years. This has remarkable implications for humanity, and some have coined the term encore adulthood to describe this new life stage that comes post-middle age but before old age, say, over 65, where health, mobility and resources enable a far more productive period of time than has previously been experienced with humans. What do we do with these additional years? Do we work longer, travel more, read more? How much freedom will we have? The downside from an economic perspective is that superannuation, retirement funds, have to last longer, and there is potentially a longer period of time when one goes from being a taxpayer to a consumer of national resources and public goods. For the individual, we have to hope that health technologies allow us to maintain a high, productive quality of life during those additional years. Obviously, medical advancements will have contributed in large part to providing those extra years. But it is no good to live for longer, only to be miserable because some aspects of our bodies have reached their limits, while we have prolonged our lives through the enhancement of others. Living longer doesn't necessarily imply remaining physically active for longer. And what about the social implications? Already, we see the elderly left behind as technology has taken over our lives. Today, we observe an elderly population who grew up without computers, the internet, or maybe even TV. But perhaps that will be different as my generation reaches old age. Or will technology continue to revolutionise our lives in such a way that the elderly for generations to come will be condemned to thoughts of a distant past when life was simple and things didn't happen so fast? The elderly already experience isolation and alienation from a society rapidly speeding towards the future. But it is not just technology that changes with time. It is everything. Societies today are but a shadow of their former selves. Norms and value systems change with each generation. Globalisation has made us more diverse. And distance is no limitation to the merging of cultures, as we live in a digital, high-speed, connected world. Value systems are forged in childhood. So how will we cope as we live to see the world changing around us? Will we be further alienated from the world we grew up in, and those cultural aspects that are so integral to who we are? Population decline is actually not a new issue. Russia has been tackling it for well over a decade. In 2006, President Vladimir Putin introduced incentive measures to encourage couples to have more than one child. These policies have been slow to take effect for a range of social reasons. Unfortunately, the stereotype has largely been true, with alcohol-related health problems and death contributing in large part to the declining Russian population. However, in October of 2019, the World Health Organization issued a report stating that alcohol consumption in Russia has declined by over 40% since 2003 as a result of alcohol control and education programs, so that has to be a good thing. Unfortunately, Russia has normalized abortion to the point of insanity, with an abortion rate more than double that of most Western countries. Similar to Japan, Russia also has very low immigration, so it is unable to increase its population solely through organic growth. This has tremendous economic impacts on a country that is massive and relies on its natural resources. And it is also one reason why Russia annexed Crimea from Ukraine in 2014, boosting its population by over 2 million. So we have seen that the global population is growing, but at a declining rate, and many countries are already losing population every year. This trend will continue and extend to most developed nations in the near future due to people having fewer children 
of populations that are aging and in some graces due to migration. But another 3.5 billion people is certainly going to have an impact on all of us. The level of that impact will in large part come down to our own culture, values and behaviour. I remember several years ago I was in Istanbul, the capital of Turkey. It's a beautiful bustling city that straddles the Bosphorus Strait linking Europe with Asia. Istanbul was home to over 15 million people and is about four times the size of Los Angeles. Standing on a street with a local, the place was teeming with people. We were trying to figure out how to get to a certain place. The person I was with began speaking to a gentleman standing next to us, who was also waiting to cross the street. And she spoke to him with such familiarity that I assumed that she knew him. It was like he was her cousin or something. I asked her how she knew him, and she replied that she didn't. She was just asking him for directions. I'd observed this phenomenon before. A level of social interaction that is indicative of a collectivist culture. Where I come from, people can be very friendly, but we also tend to enjoy our personal space and are polite but formal with strangers. Here though, there was a great sense of community and it was apparent to me that that is how 15 million people live together in this city. It seemed to me like the recipe for managing large populations, a kind of we're all in this together mentality that would be imperative in order for people to live closely together with scarce space and resources. Unfortunately, that is not a universal in these types of heavily populated cities. In China, for instance, there is a totally different approach to the issue. Yes, things are changing, and I am generalising somewhat, but there, people do not appear to have a level of community and social cohesion like I observed in Istanbul. A queue, it's merely an impediment to getting to the front, it's not a social construct that manages our needs in an orderly manner. It is somehow acceptable there that people push to the front to shout and demand attention, oblivious to the many other people all waiting for the same thing. The approach is dog-eat-dog. Dog. For a collectivist country to have such a lack of social cohesion is strange to me, and what I consider a major flaw in Chinese society. But I'm not the only one to have noticed. China itself is implementing a large-scale social credit system designed to force a shift in the values of its people. I'll explore this in more detail in a later episode. It's a fascinating and disturbing idea. But the reason it's disturbing, at least in part, is because it is a system that uses punishment to alter behaviour rather than appealing to the sense of community that's inherent to humans, that which has allowed us to merge together into societies for millennia. The solution to managing a growing population is exactly that. We need to learn to be together better. That is what made us successful as a species, and it is why we have grown to the extent that we have. Isolating ourselves from others is not the solution. Unlike Neo in the Matrix, no one is the one. It is only by coming together, being open and understanding of each other and our differences, that we can find practical solutions to the challenges a growing population presents, and accept the inevitable changes that are coming. After all, Everyone needs good neighbours. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Here and Now podcast. You can find us on Facebook at the Here and Now podcast or Twitter with the handle Here Now podcast. Please subscribe to keep up to date with the latest episodes and I'd appreciate your reviews on the Apple Podcasts app. I'd love your feedback on this or any other topics. You can reach me via the pages or at email theherenow at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.